Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. Right now, in the far reaches of outer space, there are countless phenomena that we call black holes. What is a black hole? A lot of it's a mystery, and I'm not qualified to speak on that mystery, but from what I can understand, a black hole is where there is a tiny ball of matter, what scientists call a singularity, that is small in space, but is so massive, has so much material compacted, squeezed in onto itself, that the gravitational pull of that tiny space is so strong, not even light itself can escape it. <laughs> that blows my mind. I don't know if that blows your mind. But this is a real thing. It's out there. Millions, maybe billions of them are out there. It's like a whirlpool in the water that spins and spins and sucks things in. And that's what's happening in outer space right now, best we can tell, in what we call these black holes. Something gets close enough to that black hole, sucked in, never to be seen ever again. Scientists think that these black holes, or at least many of them, used to be stars, which were giving light and heat that somehow, beyond us, imploded, sunk down into a tiny singularity, and now sucks even light itself into them. So why are we talking about science? Because what we're going to see in our text today is that you yourself are either like a black hole or you're like a star. You yourself are either a tiny singularity sucked in, imploded into yourself, now sucking all light and joy into yourself, or you're like a healthy, vibrant star that amazingly within itself is producing energy and heat and light for the benefit of others. <laughs> God created us not to be like black holes. God created us to be like stars. When he took Abraham out and said, look at the heavens, we ourselves are, in a spiritual sense, descendants of Abraham. We ourselves are heirs of the promise, and we are to be like stars, giving light, not sucking in light. The promise to Abraham was, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God blessed Abraham so that in him and through him, others would be blessed. We are not ethnic Israel, and there is a difference. But God has also blessed you so that in and through you, others would be blessed. However, in a world like ours, sometimes it doesn't work that way. Sometimes we do whatever, implode into ourselves, and we begin to suck all life and joy into ourselves just like black holes. Instead of sending light outward, we suck it into ourselves. 2 Timothy 3 says, in the last days, people will be lovers of self. And like has been said before, the smallest package in the world is a man or a woman wrapped up in himself or herself. And sometimes you and I behave that way. What are you right now? Are you a black hole? Are you a star? Can you be described by the picture that Agur gives at the end of the book of Proverbs? He says, the leech has two daughters. Here's one, give. Here's another one, 
Give, give, give. Three things are never satisfied, Scripture says. Four never say enough. Sheol, the barren womb, the land never satisfied with water, and the fire that never says enough. When you enter the room, are you the black hole that cannot be satisfied? No matter how much attention, affection, energy, money, time, people give, it's never quite enough. God didn't intend for you to be this way. But for all of us at times, we can be, and some are regularly like this. That's not what we want to be as Christians, nor is it what God intended us to become. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So if you, this morning, are sucking everything into yourself, now is when that ends. And by God's grace, you need to become a healthy, outward, vibrant believer, focused outward. I say this because this is exactly what you'll do if you obey the text that you have in Philippians chapter 4 today. The Apostle Paul has been writing all of this. We are now at the end of this letter, and usually Paul would end his letter right here. But this is a unique letter because he wrote it probably in response to a financial gift that the Philippians had sent to him because he is stuck in prison in Rome. He needs the financial support of others just to eat, okay? Not for extra comforts, just to eat. They sent him a gift. He wrote this letter in reply. And so, what Paul wants to make very clear to the Philippian saints and to you is that though he really did appreciate the gift that they sent, he didn't need it. Paul was not a black hole saying, give, sucking into himself. No, he appreciated the gift they gave, but he didn't need it. Paul's whole life was one of a healthy star, focusing outward, overflowing, and blessing others. And your life, by God's grace, has to be exactly the same thing. So let's see this in Philippians chapter 4. We are beginning in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, yet... It was kind of you to share my trouble. Paul says that he learned the secret of being completely content. And that's an encouragement for us. He says he learned it. He wasn't born with it. It wasn't immediately installed into his mainframe when he came to Christ there on his way to Damascus. This is something Paul learned. Like an apprentice back in the day at the smithy learning how to 
handle the metal that he's working with, or like a sous chef in a kitchen, first you drop the spoon into the pot of soup, but later you learn how not to do that. This is something, a skill that you gain over time. Contentment is a skill that you, Christian, are called upon to gain. You learn it just like the Apostle Paul learned it. So if right now you're here and you're thinking, I don't feel that content. I feel like I need a lot. That's okay right now. That's not okay next year. That's not okay in five years. As Christians, we're coming from all sorts of different places, but we're all heading in one direction. We who are Christians, we grow. If grumbling and discontentedness is a part of something you've struggled with, that's okay. But that's not okay in five years. We need to grow. And God has given you this text right here to help you grow. Paul is going to say, I can do this through Christ who strengthens me, and you can do exactly the same thing. Verse 11, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And that really is the key word for this passage and our sermon today. It is the word content. You, not another, not the person next to you, but we're talking about you yourself, whoever you are. In whatever situation you are right now, you can and you must and you should be content. How do you do that? Maybe you've tried and it's not worked in the past. How do you do that? This passage answers. And it answers in two ways, and that's the way we'll look at this passage. You can be content by living a life where you are looking upward, not downward, and living a life where you are looking outward and not inward. So let's look at these one and then the other in the passage. First, if you want to be content, you can, but it will require that you live a life where you are looking upward and not downward. We're going to return to the first verse, verse 10, very soon, but for now, skip down to 11. Paul says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And the next verse is simply going to explain more clearly to you what he means by in whatever situation I am. What are Paul's situations? Look at verse 12. I know how to be brought low. There's one. And I know how to abound. There's the other. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What Paul is doing in this passage is he's taking two opposite poles, two opposite ends of a spectrum. One is abundance and plenty. And we like that pole, and we'd like to be in that pole, of course. And the other one is need and hunger and lack and want. There are the two sides. And he says, I've learned a secret so that I can be content here and I can be content here. And then he says, in any and every circumstance, which means any gradation in between those extremes, any and every circumstance, I can be content. The reason this has to be emphasized so strongly for us is that even when you hear this, you're thinking of your situation and you may be tempted to think, okay, that's great for a super apostle Paul, but for myself, you don't understand the situation that I'm in. It is a very hard one. And Paul is saying, it doesn't matter where on the spectrum it falls. 
It could be so close to this very terrible pole over here. And Paul says, I want you to know there's a secret for how you can be content in that situation. So if you're trying to worm your way out of the command of this text, sorry, you have to stop. We bar the doors. This is for you in your situation. He's saying it applies to any and every single circumstance. Inflation's on the rise. You're starting to feel that in your bank account, I'm sure. Some more, some less. Can you be content with that happening and if that continues? Yes, or the Bible's false. I've learned the secret in any and every circumstance. Your circumstance, no matter how prickly, fits very comfortably in this spectrum that Paul has given you. You are not an exception to this. And we're going to see the quote-unquote secret that Paul learned here, that you can learn, that will allow you to feel satisfied in your life, no matter where you are on that spectrum. The key thing, as we're going to see here, is that Paul's able to be satisfied really because in his attitude, he's not looking down like most of us do. And what I mean by that is here is the earth and all of its concerns, and many of us live our lives focused right here. But when you read this passage with Paul, it's somewhat shocking. Paul is actually almost flippant about his earthly circumstances and has been throughout the book of Philippians. He has no 401k. He has no savings. He's in prison in Rome. Death eventually is what will reach him. Just like his Lord and Savior Jesus who had nowhere to lay his head, that's sort of the life that Paul lived. If Paul was doing this, he'd be a miserable old grouch because his life was hard. You try to be chained to a Roman guard, can't even use the bathroom in private, you're chained to a Roman guard, you don't have any freedoms, and at the whim of some Roman ruler, your head is gone. You try to live that way for a long period of time. If you're doing this, your life's terrible. You may be in difficult circumstances now, and if you are living your life looking down at your circumstances, you know you're miserable, aren't you? <laughs> you're miserable. It's very natural. The reason Paul's not miserable is because that's exactly what he is not doing. He really, in this passage, sets these two poles side by side. You notice that? We expect him to say something like, I've learned how to be content when I have need and when there is poverty and when there is hunger. And we would say, amazing. But actually, he takes that side by side with when there's abundance. And he just puts them together and says, it doesn't matter to me. Either one of these, I have the secret of being equally content. It's as if Paul, regarding earthly circumstances, is flippant. He treats them as somewhat trivial. It's not that he's not aware of them. They're just not that important to him. He doesn't even say if he prefers one or the other. This was like earlier in Philippians where he was contemplating, is it better for me to be beheaded or not beheaded? <laughs> we say, that seems like a very easy answer. And yet it wasn't for Paul. Similarly, in this circumstance, with earthly circumstances, better to have a lot, better not to have a lot. For us, we push that button. <laughs> Give me a lot. Not for Paul. He said, look, in any case, this is all the same to me. Whatever it is, I can be content. 
He's not looking down, focused on his things. You may say, are we going to then argue that we shouldn't be good stewards? Just let your house fall apart. Don't even think about your bank account. Don't prepare for the future. I didn't say any of that. I promise I didn't say any of that, and I don't mean any of that. But here's an important piece, and this is Paul's attitude even in this passage. Things don't matter. It's not that the physical world doesn't matter and we should be spirits floating around. I don't mean that. I mean material stuff, money, and the things that it buys you. Paul treats it like it doesn't really matter that much. Jesus treated it the same way. He didn't have a house. Jesus could have had a palace. They would make him king, and he ran away. It wasn't of great interest to him. It's of great interest to us, hence why we're very not content. (laughs) But for Paul, even in this passage, he just doesn't emphasize it. The reason that you should think about your bank account, think about savings, the reason you should maintain your home and your vehicle the best that you can, the reason you should think about these things is not because stuff matters, it's because self-control matters. The reason you shouldn't take your money and throw it away is not so you can have a lot of money because maybe there will be an economic depression and you'll have no money. And you can be content because you are doing it for virtue. You are doing it because it pleases Christ. You are doing it for the sake of self-control. But the stuff itself, the thing, the car itself, maybe it's a nice car, and that's wonderful. And thank God for that. Praise God for that. But if that car is not there tomorrow, you can be content. If you're not looking at the car like this, Need the car, love the car. (laughs) Maintain the car for the sake of self-control because it's the right thing to do. And if the car's gone tomorrow, you can be content like Paul as long as it's not your life. Jesus said, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And when he was 12 years old, you remember he was in the temple and his parents found him. And he said, didn't you know that I needed to be in my father's house? He didn't even own a house of his own when he was older, but that was still his attitude. I need to be in my father's house. I need to be about my father's business. He said later when he was grown up, my food is to do the will of my father. Jesus lived his life doing this. And so even though he didn't have much to look at down here, he was a sort of beggar traveling around, content. We are not negligent. We do not squander. We care about earthly things, especially when it comes to the material needs of other people. Then you've got to care about, do they have food? Do they have clothing? How can we get involved? How can we help them? So we're not saying, nope, just immaterial things out here. No, we care about physical things, but not for their own sake. Our lives are not lived looking down. Jesus said, the Gentiles seek after all these things, food, clothing, comforts. It's not to be this way among you. That is not your life. Unbelievers are, quote, men of the world whose portion is in this life, according to Psalm 17. Or even if you remember chapter 3 here in the book of Philippians, they're like those false teachers, those dogs. And what was true of them? Their God is who? Their belly, whose minds are set on earthly things. But... But our citizenship is in heaven. If you can do that, no, yes, then you can be content. Because your citizenship in heaven, 
your inheritance which is reserved for you, undefiled in the heavenly places, no one is touching it. The economy has no effect on it. If your car is totaled, it's still there. And if that's where your focus is, you can be content. Look, if you walked in here today and you're just thinking, looking down at your earthly circumstances and your heart rises or falls based on those things alone, well, then stop doing that. <laughs> you remember 1 John, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. The love of the Father is so much better. We should pause for just a second and add something in light of this passage. I mentioned before Everything we've said makes sense when we're talking about being content with little. So you don't have much, but you're content because you're looking up at the Lord. But notice that's not exactly what Paul's saying. Paul says, I've learned the secret to be content when I have little, but also when I have much. Being content with much, according to Scripture, is actually harder than being content with little in many ways. The dangers, the warnings of Scripture against dangers when it comes to wealth are stronger the more you have. The Bible doesn't say you can't have more. In fact, the whole history of Christianity has been full of some Christians who are materially wealthy, having a lot of possessions. And the Bible does not say, and Paul does not tell Timothy, tell him to give it all away. He gives them commands like, don't put your trust in it, don't become conceited, be generous. It is harder to be a faithful Christian with much than with little. It's easier to get a camel through the eye of a needle. And so what Paul is saying about being content with much is just as important as being content with little. Most of us just born when we were, sort of by accident as far as we're concerned, this period of time in this part of the world, most of us have an abundance that's incomparable to the rest of all history everywhere else. And we praise God for that great blessing. That's a good thing. Wow, thank you, God. If we're having a medical problem, there is a hospital we can go to, and someone will see us. Praise God. Most of history wasn't like that. And so for us, how can we be content with much? Jesus warned, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. If you have an abundance of possessions, your life does not consist in it. And what that means practically for you, and you know this, it'll never be enough. It will never be enough. When you don't have an abundance of possessions, it's easy to think, if only I had an abundance of possessions then I'd be satisfied. But the only thing more tragic than never getting that abundance you want is getting it and realizing, wow, I'm still not satisfied. Paul adds, those who want to be rich, it's not a sin to be rich. Those who crave it, those who desire it, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The Bible has no warnings about those who are poor. The Bible has warnings about those who desire to be rich. In fact, the church in Philippi, you may remember from the book of Acts, started when a woman named Lydia 
came to Christ and invited the apostle into her home. She was probably still a prominent member of the church in Philippi, and we're told that she was a seller of purple, which in that day, purple as a royal color means you're making a lot of money. She probably was a wealthy woman. Paul does not command her, get rid of your wealth. It's inherently bad. There have always been wealthy Christians. But we have to bear in mind as well that just as those of us who have less have to learn to be content by looking to Christ, those who have more have to do exactly the same thing for the sake of contentment. How do you learn this secret? Don't look down. Instead, look up. Paul was indifferent about his earthly circumstances, almost like he didn't care about it. But Paul was not generally indifferent about life. It wasn't that he was just kind of a chill guy and like, ah, I don't care. If I have it, if I don't, I don't care. I don't really care about anything. That was not Paul. You've seen him in in Philippians. He is laser focused. He is a driven man. Every day gets up, he's driven. He says, I press on to make it my own. I strain forward like an athlete running a race. It's just he's not straining this direction down. He's straining this direction up. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That word upward is very important. He's not an indifferent person. It's where he's focused. Look at, you see this in the famous verse, verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The him is Christ. The all things, sorry, the all things is not bench pressing 500 pounds And the all things is not winning a divisional title in football. It's not. That's not the all things. You might do that. Praise God. (laughs) It's not what this is saying. The all things is Paul can be content right where he is. And it doesn't matter where he is. If he's in prison in Rome, that's fine. If he's out free, someone Lydia's contributed, kept him in her nice home. Wow, how nice. That's fine. That's great. He's going to have his head cut off? Okay, that's cool. Is he out with friends and having a nice meal? Wow, that's great. All things. The reason Paul can do it is not because he says, ah, I'm very disciplined. I'm very tough. I'm very stoic. I can do this. Very manly. No. He looks up and goes, I can be content right where I am right now with nothing changing. Because Christ strengthens me to do it. That is the secret that Paul learned. Christ strengthened him. In Paul's day, there was a form of thought, and you kind of hear this term today, called Stoicism. And Stoicism was somewhat similar to what Paul's saying. The idea within Stoicism in the ancient world, it was a very appealing view, was, look, you can't control anything. This isn't a Christian view. Take God out of the picture. You can't control what happens, whether you meet fortune or unfortunate events that's totally, in their view, sort of a random thing. So you can live your life all miserable, wondering what's going to happen, or you can just take it all in stride. You can just realize you don't have control over this. Tragedy strikes. So why bother yourself so deeply about it? Receive everything with what we call today a stoic calm. There was more to the worldview than that, but that's sort of an essence of it. Paul's not arguing for that. 
there's a similar sort of view in some Eastern ways of thought. Anyone familiar with something like Buddhism or other things of the East, where there is a suppression of desire so that you don't suffer? So that is the enlightened view within Buddhism is that they're suffering because you have desires. And those desires don't get met. They get contradicted and you suffer. So what are you going to do about it? How are you going to get rid of suffering? Sear the desires. Remove the desires and the suffering goes. That's true, but then you don't have desires. <laughs> and the Christian approach is not stoicism. Can't change it. Just accept it. That's not the approach. The Christian approach to contentment in a world of suffering is not Buddhism. The Christian approach is harnessing your desire, intensifying your desire and your affection, but not putting it here, directing it here, above, where Christ is, seated in the heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. Your problem is not that you desire too much, oh, and now you're not content. It's you're desiring in the wrong direction. Your primary focus is maybe the promotion, maybe it's the nice car, maybe it's the home, maybe it's the next stage of life, maybe it's a particular relationship, it's having a sort of spouse that you want to have, it's having the kind of kids that you want to have, and that gets contradicted, and now you don't feel content, you grumble. The problem is not you're just desiring too much. You're desiring in the wrong direction. It's okay to want these things. We all want these things. But the primary oomph of your desire needs to be vertical, needs to be toward Christ. That was true for Paul. He believed that Christ strengthened him for any and every circumstance. And this is the Christian secret to commitment, to return to the picture of a star I don't know how this works, don't let me fool you, but apparently some kind of nuclear fission, whatever that may mean, occurs within a star and that's what's producing massive amounts of light and heat from that body of gas that is a star. You see, it's within it and it's producing it and it comes out. For you as a Christian, the nuclear fission is Christ. Christ strengthens me. How? By pulling me out of hard circumstances and setting me in nice circumstances? No, not usually. Christ strengthens you in the inner person so that with your mind fixed on him, whatever happens here, you proceed with joy that can't be crushed with a satisfaction. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's Paul's view. You know the hierarchy of needs that Abraham Maslow posited way back in the day and everybody subscribes to. That's wrong. That's incorrect. Um, however, there's some piece of truth to it. We have needs, physical needs. We have the desire to be wanted, to belong somewhere, for a sense of security. It's not like you're going to stop desiring those things. But as a Christian, it's not that we get rid of that pyramid or whatever. It's instead that we find all of that in Christ. If I find all of that in Christ, if he's the one strengthening me to be content, then listen, I really want you to like me. I really do. But I don't need you to like me. And if I have to do something that you don't like because it's in your best interest, sorry about that. I don't want to do it, but I'll do it, okay? 
And it is because Christ likes me. And that satisfies. If I have to make a hard decision in my job to be morally virtuous and it's going to cost me the promotion, I can do that because Christ has given me an inheritance in heaven. I don't need that promotion. I want that promotion. I don't need that promotion. If I have to give up even my life in an act of martyrdom, it's not that we like dying as Christians. It's not that we've ever liked dying as Christians. We're not out of our minds. It's that we love Christ. And He gives us a life that's better than life itself. To be united to Him in suffering, like Paul said, that's better than not being united to Him in comfort. Christ provides all we need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's because Paul could pray the famous prayer, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Meaning, I'm not going to lack anything because the Lord is my shepherd. If you want to stop sucking the life of everyone around you into yourself like a black hole, needing attention, approval, affection, and love, you need a different energy source. It can't be everyone around you. And that's what Paul says is the secret for the Christian. You have an unlimited supply of energy, and it is from Christ himself. It is Christ who strengthens you. At some point, you're going to have to come face to face with this question in your life. You'll be in a hard circumstance, and you'll be waiting for it to resolve itself. And maybe it will, and maybe it won't. And you're going to have to decide, do I have to wait until this trial's gone to have joy and satisfaction? Paul says, no, you don't. No, you don't. Christ can strengthen you to have it right now. May Christ do so. So really, that's the secret of contentment. You look up, and you're not living a life that's focused down. Christ strengthens you. But there's another element to what your life will look like if you do this. And that's given at the beginning and the end of this passage. And it's to that that we now turn. It's not just that Paul lived a life where he was looking up instead of down, but he was also, to help you remember it, looking out instead of in. Look at this returning to verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. And jump down to verse 14. Yet, even though I don't need it, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. This apostle writing these words, unjustly lost his freedom. You realize he had done nothing wrong. He had actually done everything right. He had given his life to propagate the message of Jesus Christ in the Mediterranean world as a mouthpiece of Jesus himself. He was right in the will of God. But people hated him because of it. And it was really the jealousy of his fellow Jews when he went down to Jerusalem that had him eventually sent away so that he's now chained up in Rome waiting to see if he's going to lose his head. It's an uncomfortable way of life. And he's there by no fault of his own, but actually by the sins and faults of other people. 
look, you and I are human. When you get to a very uncomfortable place, no fault of your own, but the fault of other people, how do you feel about it? Quite joyful and relaxed. (laughs) You have a bad employer who makes your life a nightmare. It's not your fault. You're doing your work and more than your work, and they don't care. They're using you. How do you feel? Joyful, peaceful? You grumble. Why? Why would God allow this? Why does he do that? Why does he act like that? You have a spouse who doesn't respond to your overtures the way that you believe that they should. They don't love you the way that they should. And maybe you're totally correct. Maybe you unjustly, no fault of your own, are lacking in something that God intended for you to have in marriage because of the fault of your spouse. And you want to descend into bitterness. Same thing can happen with roommates. It can happen with family. It can happen if you have an unwise government and now you lose something that seems rightly should be yours. Oh, how do you feel about that? You feel good about that? (laughs) Here comes the temptation to bitterness. Here comes the temptation to grumble. That's right where Paul is. You remember Jacob, the patriarch, when he said, All these things are against me. And at the end of his life, he said to Pharaoh, evil and few have been the days of the years of my life. That's how you feel after a life of disappointments because of other people's failures. Well, that's where Paul is right here. His life is hard. It's not his fault. He's not grumbling. Joy. Joy, 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 rejoice, rejoice, joy, joy, joy. That's been Philippians. Where's the grumbling? I don't know. I didn't see it. I mean, I looked all through there. There's no grumbling. There's no complaining about the wrongs of others, even those other preachers who were wanting to spite him. He says, well, at least they're preaching Christ. (laughs) Who's like that? Paul's like that. And we need to be like that. This is our tendency for all of us when life gets hard. When life's easy, ah, it's a little easier to be kind to people to be appreciative, to say, oh, it was kind of you to share my trouble, to make excuses for people. You lacked opportunity. I get it. But when the pressures of life come in, when your bank account is shrinking, when you're being treated poorly, and you feel like you're being squished and squished and squished, then what are you at that point? (laughs) You want to lash out and make somebody feel bad for what they're doing. And Paul says, I'm in that circumstance, and I'm perfectly content. And you see this not just by him saying it. You see it in his very example. Look what he's saying. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. That means it's been some time since they'd sent him a financial gift. We know from Paul's letter to the Corinthians that these churches of Macedonia, of which Philippi was a part, were very poor. So maybe their lack of opportunity was they just didn't have money. Or maybe they didn't know where Paul was. It could have been anything. Paul could have said, I planted that church. I gave my life, my sweat, my blood, my tears to that church so they could be safe. I gave everything to them, and here I am, and I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. No financial help at all. That's how you repay me. He could have done that. He didn't do that. With the pressure of life squishing him as hard as it could, Paul says, you know what? I rejoiced that finally there's some financial help. And I want you to know, I'm aware that you wanted to do it before. I'll make that excuse for you. 
he concludes by saying, look, even though I'm telling you I didn't need it because I've got Christ, I want you to know it was kind of you to share my trouble. Where's Paul looking? Not inward. Why have I been wronged? He's like a star. And out it goes. And he says, look, I know I'm the one in prison suffering here, but I want you to know I see what you've done. I appreciate what you've done. His focus is outward on them. Look, family of God, that can be you. You believe that? That can be you every day. A contentment in Christ that comes from looking up and not down, where you are looking out and not in. You don't have to wait until you have money to be kind, content, and satisfied. You don't have to wait until the painful trial you're in is over to finally breathe a little bit and be gracious and satisfied. In the trial you're in right now, you can be satisfied. In your poverty, in your lack, in your trial, in your pain, in your heartache, or in your abundance, in your health, in everything going well, doesn't matter. Who cares? Whatever that is, Christ can strengthen you to be satisfied right where you are. Your life circumstance, whatever it is, it's not an exception to the rule. It is part of the rule. If Christ did not strengthen you, if you didn't have Christ, nobody's going to blame you for being a black hole. All you have is what people can give you. But if you have Christ there at the center, then you can't be a black hole. Maybe you are now. You can't stay that way. You have to meditate on the glories of Christ and his provision. By the Spirit of God, you may become a very outward person. Christ strengthens you. He can make you stand. You're going to leave this building in just about a minute, and you are going to walk out there back into the circumstances of your life. And for some of you, they're very bad. And for some of you, they're very good. And Paul says, I don't care what circumstance you're walking into when you leave this. If you bear the name of Jesus Christ, then by the power of Christ within you, you're going to face that circumstance with a calm resolve. You may weep, you may rend your garments, it may be incredibly painful, or you may rejoice in the abundance God has given you. It doesn't matter. Whatever you're facing when you leave there, you're not going to do it with a sense of grumbling malcontentedness. Do you not have Christ? And is Christ not enough for you? Is that car literally better able to make you happy than Christ? Heir of salvation, Christ, who sits at the right hand of the Father, Christ, who extends to you an eternal salvation, Christ, who promises you his presence as soon as you leave, who will be with you to the end of the age and give you everything you need. And that's not enough to give you joy. Christian, I want to free you from feeling like you need a certain circumstance to finally be satisfied in life. You don't need that circumstance. If you get it, great. You don't need it. Christ is strong. And you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Let's pray. Christ, we believe what is said of you in Scripture. And therefore, none of us are satisfied until we're satisfied in you. Lord, I do pray that you would give us a real sense of your goodness, 
that you'd refresh us with a sense of your presence, that you would help us to meditate upon you, but more than meditate, that your spirit would work in us to stir our affections towards you so that we will be able to say with Paul, I count everything as rubbish compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Lord, I want to beg you for us, whatever else our lives may be, that this, the center of it, would not be mere theory, that we wouldn't leave it here at church on a Sunday and go out to our normal lives, that we would take this with us, that it would be our joy and our comfort and our consolation. You, Christ, please strengthen us so that in any and every circumstance we may be content for the sake of your great name.